Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Window on the World podcast. I'm Julia Aller, music reporter at the Columbus Dispatch. Today we have Chamber Brews with us in the studio. Hey. Hi. Thank you guys so much for being here and for blessing our Friday lunch hour with your lovely music. You flatter us. (laughs) Thanks for having us. Yes. So if you listen to this today, Friday, August 24th, then you can actually, you have a few hours to rush over to $2 Radio to see their show at 7.30. Free show presented by the Johnstone Fund for New Music, which is a really cool organization. So if you have time, if you don't, then you can uh, skip forward and hear their performance at the Dispatch on this podcast. So why don't you guys, for those who have no idea what Chamber Brews is, it's not the latest microbrewery in Columbus. <laughs> oh, I wish. <laughs> Maybe someday you guys can, you know. That's, that's year five. <laughs> Five-year plan. For those of you who do not know what Chamber Brews is, maybe you can just give them a brief synopsis of what you guys are about. Sure. Chamber Brews is a string quartet project or a music event series that essentially plays a lot of classical music. We try to focus in on new music, music by living composers, and our mission is to share this music in the most comfortable way and in the most succinct way and the most accessible way possible. So every single one of our events is created with the audience and listener and musician in mind to create an environment and atmosphere that's really comfortable, that sparks conversation and dialogue, and that really brings everyone together. Usually means we're in an unusual space, Mm -hmm. like at least for classical music, like Brothers Drake or the Columbus Cultural Arts Center or a $2 radio. And then we just feel like it's a better place for everyone to be a bit more comfy, us included. And it also harkens back to the beginnings of chamber music. I mean, this music wasn't typically, I mean, it got its performances in concert halls, but its its main mode of consumption was in people's living rooms. And we wanted to figure out how to keep that idea alive and be able to share this music with larger audiences as well. I think the one other part that is unique for us, at least in the combination of all these other things, is that we're sharing a lot of the performers perspective. If you're lucky, you'll get the composer's perspective in some really great program notes in a classical music concert. But we're making a point to include that composer's perspective, our perspective on how we prepared, and also get the audience engaged, maybe even speaking to us (laughs) uh, during the event. I mean, really, some of our most insightful conversations have come from audience questions about how we view what it is that we're doing and how we put this project together and what our process is like. And to be able to have a space where that is not only okay, but encouraged is it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. And I'm grateful for Elizabeth and grateful for all these people who continue to let us do it because it's the best thing in the world. What have been some of the ways that you guys have found to be effective in kind of breaking that barrier between performer and audience? Changing what is expected. You know, if you walk into a room and the chairs are set up like a traditional concert hall, people are going to have, in my experience, a very difficult time busting out of those expectations (laughs) of sitting quietly and not allowed to cough and not allowed to do anything. You know, so we found that deliberately making change seating. I know it sounds really silly that we're so concerned about seating in a classical music concert. You know, making sure that we tell people at the start of a concert, please feel free to get up. 
you know, go get a drink. If you want to go get a drink, go to the bathroom, you know, ask us questions between movements. And we also often don't play entire pieces if they're big, multi-movement, heavy works. If we are playing more of it, then we usually chop it up and talk a bit more so people don't feel like weighed down unless the music really demands, you know. Um, so like today, um, this evening, when we play the Janacek, we are going to be playing it straight through because there's a story there that's being told. I found and we found that in even in our own experience of consuming classical music, that I certainly have a certain way that I behave when I am going out to see it in a concert hall. And being aware of that, for me, a person who's been studying this my whole life, being aware of sometimes feeling not not necessarily unwelcome, but like I am a part of something more formal and a little bit intimidating. Our initial intention was to break that down and we found something as simple as changing the chairs and most importantly changing the space that we enter in is really, really key and essential to that. And we also found that getting the conversation going, you know, now that we're on our third season, people have their own set of expectations for what to expect at our concert, which is awesome. But we have also found that we have had to work to get people to break out of their own mold. So having note cards and writing utensils and opportunities for people to provide their input without necessarily having to speak in front of the audience, things like that, things like asking really pointed questions, encouraging that question and dialogue, and then also being available before, in the middle, and after a concert to have a conversation with someone about what it is that we're doing. We are being as honest as we can be about our process, and I think that's what is resonating with people, and they they find that they have something to glom onto. And I just want to make sure that I say that it's not that we don't like the formal experience. Oh. I love going to a big hall, dressing up a little bit, feeling like this is a special event event and going to like a symphonic concert we just feel like we need to have other ways Mm -hmm. for people to consume it as well because that's how I like to consume classical music in my house Mm -hmm. (laughs) in my pajamas (laughs) (laughs) right or having a drink at home with friends discussing what we're listening to Mm -hmm. we saw a hole and we're trying to fill it yeah and I think that's actually a really really good point because there's space there's space in the world for consuming music in all these different kinds of ways. And what one of the intimidating factors that we found is that people have a hard time when they haven't been studying music because they have a hard time really connecting with what's going on. And what we wanted to do was sort of fill that gap and say, you know, we're going to have that education there. We're going to tell you about our experience in a way that any person, if you have a music background, if you don't have a music background, will be able to relate to. We were talking about conflict resolution in some of our concerts. You know, how do we, as people who work in a small group, resolve issues? And that's something that everyone can have an experience with. So you guys primarily focus on more modern composers. What was the the thought behind that? Is that sort of purposeful in sort of also helping kind of bring in that more casual environment? Or is that is it disconnected from that? If you look at our programming over the last three years, you will see quite a range. We definitely have played some Beethoven and some Ravel and Haydn at one point. Mm-hmm. But as the longer we do this, we feel like we've kind of built a small audience base that trusts us. <laughs> You know, we're not going to shock them. I feel like often there's a bit of a misconception as to what modern classical music is. They have a very narrow view of what that is. So for me, it is a little bit of a I want I want to kind of dispel that myth. 
So, but in general, we're not picking anything we don't like. Mm -hmm. That's very deliberate. And that was, I think, one of the driving forces behind starting this project is that both Devin and I were at a point where we were getting some steady work, but we didn't have anything where we felt like we had artistic control of what was going on. And so we wanted something that was ours and we were going to make sure that it was something that every piece is something we love and that everyone in the group is on board with. So we're trying to discuss our programming with all four members as we're forming these programs. Yeah. And I think also really importantly, the more that we do these programs, the more we realize that we have a platform where we have this opportunity to program works that maybe otherwise wouldn't be programmed by composers of color, by women, by living composers. And this is what's part of this is interacting with what's happening now and being able to be in the conversation of, you know, part of what we're trying to do is put pieces into historical context. So if something was written in 1920, we're going to talk about what it was like when that piece was written and playing something that was written in 2008, 2012, 2015. We had the opportunity to play three, well, including tonight, we're going to have three world premieres, three commissions that were written for us by composers that we know and trust and love. And there's something really special about that. So while we will continue to program pieces that fit into our broader themes, the programming choices are very deliberate and they are a way for us to communicate the kinds of conversations that we're having and also in the context of the greater classical conversation in the classical community. You guys get to be on the forefront of music of your own choosing, sort of. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we, we, <laughs> we're, de- we're definitely doing things that we really love. I don't want to make any claims about where we are or what we're doing or <laughs> it being more or less important, but I do think that we are doing what's important to us and that's what matters. That's great. Well, thank you guys again so much for joining us and, and playing for us today. Yes, thank thanks, you for having thanks us. Thanks so much. It was a lot of fun. So much fun. Hi. <laughs> Um, So we are Chamber Brews. This is a group that was founded by myself, Devin Kopfer, and Elizabeth Jeremiah. And we wanted to create a string quartet project that would essentially help us break down the fourth wall a little bit. So what we're going to present to you today is a little version of one of our programs and hopefully enough of a teaser that you'll be able to see tonight and be really excited about coming because I know that we're really excited to perform. It's also a free show. (laughs) It is also a free show sponsored by the Johnstone Fund for New Music. If you don't know Zoe and Jack Johnstone, please get to know them and all of the amazing, amazing projects that they fund. So without further ado, today we are going to perform two excerpts from two different pieces, the first of which is Libby Larson's She Wrote, which is actually based on an excerpt from James Joyce's Ulysses, which is really interesting. And very particularly, she wanted to focus on the female perspective in that passage. So each of the programs, uh, pieces that we're playing are tied to literature in some way. So this, again, specifically is the James Joyce passage that she's trying to evoke the feeling of. So without further ado, here are the first and third movements of Libby Larson's She Wrote.
So next up, we're going to play um, two movements of Janacek's string quartet, the first one. And like we said before, Libby Larson's piece was based off of Ulysses, um, but really kind of trying to figure out what that female perspective is. The same thing is true for this piece. Um, this piece is nicknamed the Kreutzer Sonata because it was written based off of the Kreutzer Sonata novella by Tolstoy, um, which is based off of the Kreutzer Sonata nicknamed piece by Beethoven. It's very long and winding. But very specifically, Tolstoy's novel is known for focusing on the male perspective. You don't even know if this supposed infidelity, we'll talk more about the story tonight, but <laughs> don't give too much away, but um, if it even occurred. So uh, Janacek was a big proponent of uh, women's rights actually. And uh, so he was deliberately trying to focus on what that tormented uh, female character in that novella was like. So if, while you're listening to this, it really does, the story does base around husband and wife and sort of the torment that was involved in that relationship. So while you're listening, see if you can pick up some of those themes that are coming through. <laughs> Thank you. 
funded by Johnstone Fund for New Music. We are also playing a piece that we commissioned from a friend of ours, so world premiere, brand new stuff, <laughs> and uh, more of what you've heard today. Thank you so much. Thanks.